Welcome to another message from C3 Mumbai. For more information about C3 Mumbai, please visit our website c3mumbai.com or visit our Facebook page. But I want to talk to you about identity today. Is that all right? You know, I always um, think about this so deeply because when you know who you are, it affects everything you do. When you know who you are, it affects everything you do. And as a church, we need to be talking about identity because it affects everything. It affects your decisions. It affects the reason why you find yourself in the same situation repeatedly. It affects the way you perceive others. It affects the way you think others perceive you. And so it's important to talk about this because it is who you think you are at the core of your being. And when you think you're that person, it makes you feel a certain way. So it's really important to make sure what you feel about yourself and what you know about the core of your being is truth. It's not based on experiences. It's not based on your past. It's not based on, on your childhood. It's not based on what others tell you you are. We're going to find out what it's really based on. So if you would turn with me to Genesis. Chapter, you got it up there? Genesis chapter. Is this shaking or is it just my eyes? Because I have a headache and I'm not sure. It is. Okay. Genesis 1 verse 26 to 28. Before I go there, I want to just set this ground of what we're talking about. You know, there's two types of identities specifically, which is related to our culture as Indians or, you know, Eastern culture or, is we have various ways of defining identities. Now, if you have been in social places or social circles, you could walk into a room, a party or a networking business, and they'll often ask you who you are and what you do. And so in Indian culture, we get, a lot of us get identity from the role we play. I am so-and-so's daughter, or I am the father of her, or I am the older boy in the family, or I do this because I am this. Or we can go into parties and ask people, oh, what's your name? And you go, Nilesh. Nilesh who? Oh, Shah. Shah, you're a Shah. Oh, do you know? You know this one, this one. And you start to connect based on their surnames. We do that in parties. Oh, you're a Kapoor. You must know my uncle, sister's cousin. Anil, you know Anil. Oh, great. We start to put people in boxes. And then if you go, oh, I'm a D'Souza, you must own property in Goa. It's, you know, and we're all guilty of that. I speak here, you know, guilty of these things. We, we love to put people based on their roles that we box them in. And we, and we as a culture, we do that without even knowing that we're putting identity on people by defining their roles. Or it could be a status-based identity, which is very modern in the way we do things. Or I, who I, I'm a doctor. We define ourselves. I'm a teacher. I'm an actor. You know, we often define ourselves by what we do. And you'll often hold the attention of someone if your doing is interesting enough. So if you go to a party and you tell someone you're an actress, 
you might have them long around a lot longer than you tell someone that you're a pastor. <laughs> because what you do often defines who you are in our society. So we, we could have role-based definitions or status-based definitions. But I want to take us back to the beginning. Who knows that to know an, a design, if you, if you want to know something about an artwork, who do you go to? You go to the artist. You don't go to someone who's happened to be there while the installations were installed. You go to the artist to know about the art. So let's go back to the beginning, to the creator of our design, to know about his creation. So in Genesis, as Rochelle put that up, it says, Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on ground. You know, when you read this, we often just take one aspect of the image of God that we, can, we think we can relate to, to determine who we are. So it's very easy to look at this and go, oh yeah, we're made in God's image. We can take the aspect of, I want to I wanna replicate God, or I want to walk in the image spiritually. But we fail to see that when you are made in the image of God, you are made in every aspect of God. You can start to reason like God. You can start to socially relate like God. You can mentally make decisions like God. And you can also experience the spiritual oneness that he has with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We often like to just take one aspect, but we're made in the image. Everyone is made in the image of a creator that makes all of you creative people. No matter what you're doing. If, if you, you know, you, you hear people say, oh, I'm just a mom. You're not just a mom. You're an amazing mom who can create at home. You're not just a school teacher. You can create with ideas when you communicate to your children. You're not just a pilot. Everything you do, you can create based on the image of God. Every single one of you. So often we've prototyped the, the, the term creative or We've prototyped the idea of, you know, oh, those are creative people. They dress weird. They have those fab in their bags. You know, they walk around with journals. We prototype people in our, in, our, in our mindsets. But the truth is we're all created to be creative because we're made in the image of God. And I love this verse because it, you can see in 20, how God ordains it. In 26 and 27, he's telling you who he is. And then in 28, he gives them a command to be fruitful and to multiply. This is my first point, is that God calls us to fulfillment in him before he calls you to fulfill a purpose. If you don't understand this, you can operate out of a place of dysfunction. If you try to fulfill your purpose before you find your fulfillment in him, you're going to run dry. You're going to burn out. It's only when we get 
uh, source right can we actually operate out of who he's called us to be? God gave man his worth before he asked him to work. What you do doesn't define who you are. Your past doesn't define you. Your likability doesn't define you. Your intellect doesn't define you. And your failure doesn't define you. You know, when you start thinking of Adam and Eve had it so good, how did they mess this up? I mean, they had everything for free. We love freebies. They had everything at their disposal and they messed it up. We want, I want to take you further to Genesis 3 verses 1 to, 1 to 7 and it says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say, You must not eat of any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat. But God did say, you must not eat from that tree in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. You will certainly not die, the serpent said. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened. And this is my key word. And you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good and pleasing to the eye, and desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. He tempted her with this one phrase which Ryan always says is that he told her and you will be like God. It's called the phrase of you are not good enough. She was already like God. She already had everything it took. Wisdom understanding, freedom. But this is what I call the deception perception. He came in and he tried to get her by saying, you are not enough. You don't have what it takes. So here you go. You need this outside of God to have what it takes. And there began our desire need to find things outside of God to define us. Because she did not understand that everything she had and everything she was was already fulfilled in him. But the deception came in when she heard that she was not enough. He tried to parade a lie dressed up in truth. How many of us know that deception is actually, there is truth in deception? That's why you get deceived. I mean, if it's, if it's straight up a lie, you know it's a lie, right? But deception parades itself as truth. So when you're listening to it, you actually think, this is right, yeah. Actually, maybe I do need it. I do need to be like God. I don't have it all. And so your search starts to go for things that will not satisfy. So sin came in through deception and messed it all up. It messed up a very simple thing. It's the order of sovereignty. So God... You know, he had this amazing plan. I loved how he said, let us make man. He didn't say, let me make man. He made us in community. Let us, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. That's why we always long for community. Each one of us, a desire in us to be with one another. But when sin comes in, the order is messed up. So what happens is, we can begin to prioritize based on our deceived desires and wants, which really affects the things we choose. 
So we start, to, we start to think this might be more important than this, just like Eve thought this apple is, I need this apple to gain wisdom. We start to prioritize things the wrong way. And it's easy then to feed ourselves based on what we deceive. So sin affects our experience, our knowledge, our thoughts, our relationships, our choices, our perceptions of others. But God, but God, everyone say, but God. He just longed and desired to be with us, to bring us back to who we were created to be. So we all know that he sent his son Jesus, his only son Jesus, as that sacrifice to bridge it. Because he couldn't stand us being away. He wanted us to remind us of who we are in him before sin came into the world. So he sent Jesus. But I just love how he sent Jesus. He didn't just, he didn't just, you know, Jesus didn't just descend from heaven. He didn't just appear. He came as man. Because he wanted to show us that I'm restoring you back to what the original design was. He sent Jesus. And then how did he present him before Jesus could ever do anything? In Matthew 4, it talks about how he released Jesus into his ministry. He said, you know, when, uh, when he was 30 years old, the Spirit of the Lord descended. And he said, like a declaration, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Had Jesus done anything before that to prove who he was? Had Jesus acted out in the miraculous? Had Jesus began his ministry? No. He began his ministry once he knew and heard who he was. And it was a declaration. It wasn't just a saying. It was a declaration to the world, to everyone around. This is my son. I'm pleased with him before he can even do anything. And out of that operation, out of that revelation, he then began to do it. How many of us here do things in order to receive what God has to say? How many of us do things in order for people's affirmation, people's approval? Oh, if only my boss would give me a big pat on the back. But Jesus, he, he, he modeled to us what it should look like. Yet again, God took us back to the original design and said, Hey, Adam and Eve messed up, but now I'm going to show you how you come back. How you come back through my son. He introduced Jesus as his plan to reconcile us back to his image and union. If your identity is based on anything other than Jesus. You become enslaved by these ideals because it's not your original design. And you begin to enslave others too. If your identity is not rooted in Jesus, you could start to feel really superior or really smart or really dumb or really stupid or really clever because your identity is not based on him. So we have another point is to know yourself, you need to know him. And I want to <laughs> talk about from the New Testament, what, one of my favorite characters in the Bible because he's so real, Simon Peter. I've talked about him before because I can really relate to this guy. You know, and I want to bring out how he, as a human being, like us, struggled, messed up. 
what God did with him to remind it continually of who he was. If you can turn with me to Matthew 16, 15 to 18. Now this is the time when, you know, Jesus was hanging with his disciples and he had this conversation about who everyone said he was and then he looked at Peter straight in the eye and said, who do you say I am, Peter? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And before this, all these different answers came from the room, all these smart Alex, oh, you're this and you're that. And then he just looks, he, he looks at Peter and he goes, but who do you say I am? And Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, I love this, and on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. This man who is such a simple man, he has a revelation that Jesus is the son of God. And because he had a revelation who Jesus was, Jesus started to tell him who he was. When you get a revelation of who Jesus is, you will without a doubt begin to realize who you are. And Jesus, I love how he did this. He just, he's such a God of order. If you, if you think God is like just spontaneous, read the Bible because you know God is a God of order. I love how he sets the story up. I would love to make a movie on Peter one day. Hari, can you help me out? But I love how Jesus saw that Peter's understanding of the sovereignty of their relationship with the Father had begun. And he wanted to bring Peter into that relationship. And so he gave him a new name. So you see how he said, Simon, son of Jonah. He didn't call him Simon Peter. He said, Simon, son of Jonah. And after he realized who he was, he said, hey, Simon Peter. He gave him a new name because he realized who he was. Peter, like us, is he's a funny character. You guys should go and read this. Read Matthew. You know, there's this one <laughs> part in the story where Jesus is walking with his disciples and Jesus feels someone tug at his, you know, his um, long robe. And it's a crowd full of people. And we know that for those of you who've read the Bible before, that this was the story of the women with the issue of blood. She went to touch Jesus' garment and they were like, imagine a market, imagine Crawford Market, Jesus walking and everyone's like coming and rubbing their hands on you. And, and in that crowd, Jesus goes, who touched me? And Peter, like us, he wasn't just the funny extrovert who says the wrong things at the wrong time. I'm guilty. <laughs> Thanks, Rochelle, for being honest. But, you know, Peter, the loudmouth, he always says things to, to embarrass himself or, or say things out of context or be quick to speak. And so many of us can relate to the extrovert in Peter. And all the introverts think, yes, we're getting away. But this smirky comment of Peter when he goes, uh, Jesus, you just asked who touched you. I mean, look around you. It's like a thousand people. Of course they touched you. But you see, he always knew. Peter was so like us. He would say the wrong things. He would ridicule Jesus. He would, he would say things to insult Jesus. I mean, he was trying to like 
bring down Jesus at that moment because he thought he was smarter in that moment. I mean, Jesus really like, hello, <laughs> who touched you? You know, come on, stop. Come on, let's just keep moving. Just keep moving. He was probably just trying to move Jesus along and, you know, get on with life. We have some people here in the room who's just like, let's just get to the point. Let's just, I bet Peter was like that, you know. And Jesus is like, no, bro, who touched me? Peter, like us, is also the one who denied Jesus. You know, in Luke 22, 60 to 62, it says, Peter replied after Jesus spoke to them that, hey, bro, it's coming a time when you will deny me. And he was the biggest one to say, no, how dare you, Jesus? I mean, haven't I proved I was the one while all these losers sat in the boat? I got out and showed you that I trusted you. I was the one who walked on water. You know, don't you tell them that they're going to deny you, not me. I mean, I'm your most loved. I've always been there with you. And Jesus said, no, you will deny me. And here he is a little bit later saying, man, I don't know what you're talking about. People asked him, do you know? Aren't you with Jesus? He goes, no, no, no. I don't know what you're talking about. Just then, the rooster crowed three times. This was asked to him. And three times he rejected Jesus. Just exactly what Jesus had prophesied. Isn't it amazing that even in Jesus' truth, he revealed something to Peter in grace? He said, hey, I know you're going to mess up. And this is the plan. And Peter messed up. I mean, can you imagine the person who's like, Probably, I, I said when I spoke about this topic earlier, I said, you know, he was probably Peter, one who was like cheering the most and clapping the most and always being the one to show, I love you, Jesus. And then he denies Jesus. But Jesus knew this was about to happen. And he, this is 61. It says, the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. <sighs> then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept. <laughs> How many of us feel like Peter? We've tasted his goodness. We've enjoyed his presence. We've got so excited when people have prophesied over us. So, or, you know, we've, we've, we're in seasons of mountaintops. We're like, I can shout about your name and shout it from the rooftops. And everything in us is about Jesus. But how many times when it's really mattered, we've denied him? How many of us so easily disobey God? How many of us mask saying the right things, even to Jesus in our prayer time? You know, you can mask that too. <laughs> I do that sometimes. <laughs> Knowing that Jesus knows me better than I know myself. And I'm trying to trick God into, you know, what I did. I'm trying to show him the list of what good I did and, you know, how I should be given this and how I should be made that. And, and Jesus is just like, hello, I can see straight into you. And we do that. We even try to mask from God. What roosters are crowing at you right now? Those hidden things that nobody else sees. Those things that nobody knows about. The shame that you carry the pain that you carry, the hurt, or some of us, even Christian jargon, we hide so well. I remember I always, 
My mom always said I used to imitate people as a pastor's kid. If you are a pastor's kid, you know you have to do something in your spare time. So I would imitate the people in church. And I would come home and we would have another mini service after. And I would like from the worship leader to the pastor to the people <laughs> praying, I would come. So there was this one guy, Norman, bless his heart, I love Norman. But he would come up to me so excited every morning, Sunday morning when he would see me. The first thing he would come and just give me the biggest handshake and I would like nearly fall over. I was like maybe Elijah's agent. Hi, praise the Lord. How are you, sister? How are you, sister? Great, the grace of God. Bye, bye, bye. Thank you, thank you very many, many, many. Before I could even answer, I'm great. Thank you so much. He would give me every point of what I needed to know for that second. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. By the grace of God, you are well. Amen. Every Sunday. And he's a good guy. He's a good guy. I love Norman. But we all have Norman moments in our life where we say the right thing. Where we go up to people, oh, I'm God just delivered me in time. I mean, you know, I was in the wilderness, but now on the mountaintop. <laughs> we have these, these words nailed. Oh man, I've been through a rough season, but God has been with me. <laughs> you know, Jesus and me, we're cool. We're like, you know, and so many of us behind that, just really want to know who we are and if we even make a difference. And like Peter, in those moments, sometimes it's when we actually distance ourselves from, from God, the very designer who created us, because we feel like unworthy, we feel condemned. We feel like there's way too many roosters reminding us of everything we've done. We feel like every day there might be a rooster growing in your world. Uh-uh, messed up again. Uh-uh, what happened? You know, and, and we can get into that place where we can start to feel unworthy or where it gets really hot, you know, the intensity of your trouble or your life, and you just choose to walk at a distance. I love in Matthew 26, you know, it talked about how Peter, it said when, he, when the high priest came to take Jesus and arrest him, when things got really heated up, when people were trying to, you know, arrest Jesus and he cut off somebody's ear and, and then Jesus rebuked him. Things were getting too messy. So Peter walked at a distance. But that distance is what began to make his heart grow cold. In times when it's really hard, we find it so easy to just pretend like it's not there. Or pretend like we don't want to talk about it. And Peter did that. How many of us have lost so much of ourselves walking distantly from Jesus? That we've forgotten what we're about. We've forgotten what he's about. But even in that moment, I mean, this grace is just, it does not run out. Who knows that? God's grace is deeper than your deepest sin. That even in those moments, he's looking at Peter. Imagine this, Peter messes up so bad. And I love that way. The Lord turned and looked at Peter. When I first read this and I was studying this a year ago, I thought, man, God would have given him one of those. It looks like if Ryan sometimes when he's, you know, I think he's culturally not like sensitive. I'm like, <laughs> or, you know, 
But and you you wonder what God was thinking. What was God doing when it said it looked? He looked at Peter, and then Peter went and wept bitterly. It was that look. And some of us, if you don't know God well, you'll think that was the look of condemnation or the look of guilt or the look of I told you so. You'll be here again. You do the wrong things. You go hang out with the wrong people. This is what's going to happen. You know, it's like, I often think like that. Oh my gosh, if it was my child, I'd be, hmm, beta. <laughs> but it, when I studied this word, the look actually means the same look that Joseph knew Mary. The look of intimacy. The look of kindness. That he looked at Peter in his denial, in his shame. When everyone else would have kind of looked at Peter with such disgust. Jesus looks at him with so much grace. And it's that grace that caused Peter to repent. It said he went and wept bitterly. Can you imagine? For three days, Peter must have been in the worst state of mind. Oh my gosh, I just denied Jesus and he died. I didn't even get to say sorry to him. You know, the guilt and the condemnation and the torment he must have gone through for three days. But then Jesus, in his grace, comes back. Peter remembered in those moments what the Lord said. In Luke 22, 32, before all this happened, Jesus told Simon, Simon, that your faith may not fail. I pray for you that your faith may not fail. <laughs> and when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. This is even before anything happened. Jesus had already knew what was going to happen. And so I want to bring the third point is where our greatest reminder of who we are will often come from remembering what he's done for us. Our greatest reminder of who we are. If you're ever in places where you just cannot see the light, just remember all the things he's brought you and delivered you from. The problem with the Israelites in the wilderness is they forgot what they came out of. They compared it. They lost gratitude. They lost thankfulness. And often that's the thing we need to remind ourselves. How has God, God, got me, God got me here and I'm still standing after all these years? He's delivered me before. He's seen me before. He's looked at me with those eyes. Jesus saw the widow. He saw the sheep without the shepherd. He saw the city and wept. He saw Lazarus and rose him from the dead. Jesus is looking at you right now. Not with words of accusation or mistrust, but with the look of affirmation that you're so loved, reminding you of who you really are. You know, we go on to see the story doesn't even end there. We think, okay, Peter messed up. You know, he deserved those three days of torture. But then in John 21, Jesus is like, hang on, like, I love this guy so much that I can't just go to heaven without even visiting him. So he goes and goes back. You know, Peter, I love this part. It said, Peter, after those three days of messing up, what did he do? He went back to fishing. And sometimes 
in our lives when we go through hard times and we feel like Jesus has walked out on us or we feel like we're not good enough for him, we go back to our old ways. Jesus called Simon while he was fishing and said, hey, you, since you've gotten so good at what you're doing, now I'm going to take that and make you fishers of men. But with all the guilt and shame and condemnation, he went back to what he was comfortable with. And Jesus is like, the story's not over yet. He went in John 21 and he laid a breakfast. Just, I mean, is, is, this, is this too crazy to believe? Sometimes when I read this, I'm like, how did he deserve that kind of grace? After everything he's done, after, you know, denying Jesus in the flesh, I mean... Then I realized I'm just the same. And God over and over and over extends the olive branch. Says, come, I, I, I prepare a breakfast table for you. And he comes to John, uh, to Peter in John 21. And he says, three times he asked Peter again, Peter, do you love me? Peter again says, yes. Peter, do you love me? Yes, yes, yes. Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? I mean, he's probably by now sensed, oh, oh, he's on to something. He knows. <laughs> Three times I denied him. Three times he's asking me, Peter, do you love me? Do you know those first two times that God asks him the word love? In English, we just use one word, love. I love ice cream the same way I love my husband, the same way I love my cat. We have one word, love for everything. But in original Aramaic, that word love, the, the first two times Jesus asked him was actually saying, Peter, do you agape me? Which is the divine love. Do you love me the way I love you? He's asking Peter. And again he says, Peter, do you agape me? And Peter's replying saying, I fillet you, which means I love you like a brother. And Jesus asked him again, do you agape me? Do you love me like I love you? And it, again, Jesus is setting the foundation of you can't love your brother unless you don't love me, unless you don't receive my love. So until you learn to receive my love, you can't love your brother. And at the end, Jesus says, do, do you love me like you love your brother? And Peter got it. And I just love how God, again with no mistake, Three times Peter denied him, and three times Jesus restored him back to his call. I just love that God doesn't leave us. You know, when he died on the cross, he justified us. He took, he made right what we deserve, right? We deserve punishment. We deserve all that. Jesus made right, but he didn't just leave us there at making it right. He could have just canceled Peter's and said, you know what, bro, it's all good. Peace out. Well, we're good. I'll see you in heaven one day. He didn't just leave him feeling accepted. He left him feeling accepted and called. The same original design that God gave Adam and Eve, God gave to Peter. That I'm not just restoring you back, but now I'm calling you into a new purpose. And so he calls him. And it, in, everyone who's read the New Testament would know that Peter was the first guy who called on revival and 3,000 people came to know Jesus. It's on this man 
that failed Jesus over and over and over again that Jesus used because he began to know who he was in Christ, broken, messed up, unafraid, that God would choose him because he began to know his father. I think, you know, in the journey of Peter's life, we've seen so many instances where God shows himself as a father, where God shows himself as love, as acceptance. And Peter, in the end, begins to respond out of that love and to that love. In... Um, We've read this quote before, we've passed it around our groups, but I just love this quote about the unconditional love of God from Tim Keller. It says, to be loved but not known is comforting but superficial. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear. But to be fully known and truly loved is well a lot being loved by God. It is what we need more than anything. It liberates us from pretense humbles us out of our self-righteousness and fortifies us for any difficulty life can throw at us. Whatever you have done, whatever you are struggling with right now, just know that the love of God is not a breakable thing. You cannot break His love by what you do. And if you find yourself constantly in spaces of repetition, in spaces of feeling inadequate, in spaces of, you know, trying to do the right thing as a, as a, as a wife, as a mother, whatever your role is, we, Ryan always says, marriage is the best thing you'll ever do. Everyone says, amen, but it's also the hardest thing you'll ever do. You know, and in those moments of being a wife or being a, 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 a parent to your child, you fail so many times. <laughs> but in these moments of those roosters crowing at you, remember that he sees you. He knows you. And that you can't scare away God with your sin. You can't break his love for you. And that our true connection of who we are can only be found in him. And so, you know, I just want to practically say that there are things that we do. We deny God with our actions, sometimes daily. We deny him in the way we think, even having thoughts about yourself that are not from God is a way we deny Him. Even having thoughts about your brother or your friend or your family that are not from God is a way we deny Him. The way we portray ourselves with perfect mark, masks is the ways we deny Him. Even pretending like we've got this sorted is denying Him. Pretending that we can do life alone is denying him. So how do we practically try and fix our gaze on Jesus? See, it took Peter to look at Jesus for him to realize that Jesus was looking at him. If in those moments 
Peter didn't look at Jesus, he would have never known the look of compassion towards him. It takes us, even in our broken mess, to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. No matter how bad it is, it's only then we can feel his love. So, you can write this down if you're taking notes. Is A practical way of getting our eyes and our gaze back on him is go to God and find scriptures that counter the way you feel. Everything that speaks against you, find a scripture. Do you know that there is a scripture for every feeling you feel and experience? Every situation you face, there is a scripture to tell you the truth. We all know that our feelings are real, our insecurities are, are, are real. We can't deny the fact that we feel insecure, or we feel silly, or we feel stupid. But what we need to realize is that the truth of the Word of God is over the way we feel. That the truth of the Word of God is, has the final say. So when you don't feel like you're good enough, go to Scripture that tells you the real truth of Him and how He's accepted you. Go to a friend that loves Jesus, my next point, that is unafraid to speak truth, even when all you feel is wanting to receive love. Balance is key. Go to someone who can always point you to Jesus in situations you may not want to turn around from. If you don't have those people in your life that you can say, hey, can you give me feedback? Can you tell me how I'm going? Can, can you tell me? Because I trust you. You have to obviously trust people that they have your best interest. They have your best interest and they can point you closer to Jesus. You need to have these people in your world. Number three is begin to be that friend that helps people renew their vision and remind them of who they are. So often it's all about us wanting help, but when was the last time whatever you felt you actually gave? When was the last time when you expected something from someone but you've never actually given it to them? So begin to be that friend that can cover people, that can renew people's vision that can remind them of who they are, that can speak truth and love. And then just ask for feedback on how you're doing in identifying who you are in Jesus and if you need to make adjustments. And I want to end by this passage in Romans 8, 15. If shakes, if you want to just come up. And it says this, the spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him, we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. C3 Mumbai is a church in the heart of India's commercial capital where a diverse group of people brought together to worship God and to pass on the hope of salvation by grace that we freely received. For more information about C3 Mumbai, please visit our website c3mumbai.com or visit our Facebook page. Follow us on Instagram or tweet us on our handle at C3 Mumbai. Hey, it's Ryan here. If you enjoyed this message and you live in Mumbai, we would love to meet you in person. Why don't you come along 11.30 a.m. Studio 10 at Famous Studios in Mahalakshmi. 